0: Today, as we think about uh, communion, I'd like to ask you what types of keywords come to mind when you think about communion? Please give me some keywords related to communion Jesus, covenant, uh, wine, bread. Yes, what else? Pardon me? Cleansing. Uh, I have a few words here. Let's see if we all agree on these words. What about uh, community? Does that have anything to do f- with communion? So that's a key word as well. Is uh, humility a key word for communion? Yes. Uh, what about uh, fellowship? Yes. And what about partaking? Yes, these are all words that relate to communion. Now there is one thing, there is another key word that has to do with all those words there. Jesus, yes. But this word I'm looking for is relationships. That's another key word. Because you can't have community without relationship. You cannot have fellowship without some sort of relationship. You cannot partake of something with someone if there is no relationship. There is a relationship implied, right? And uh, fellowship and community. All of those words have this idea of relationship involved. Now, uh, I understand that we all come from different backgrounds, right? We all had the different upbringing. I, I appreciate that some people had a, a difficult upbringing. They come from abusive environments. I understand that some people have had a life that they, if they could have chosen, they would not have had that life. I understand that some people have suffered along the way. But all of us, all of us, we are all in search of happiness. We are all in search of personal realization. We are all in search of certainty. We are all in search of accomplishment. But isn't it it a paradox? Isn't it a mystery? That in the pursuit of happiness, in the pursuit of joy, in the pursuit of accomplishment, we fight other people. And people fight other people for many different things. And sometimes even for trivial things, for silly things. And people fight about the past when the past cannot be changed anymore. People fight about the future when they have no control over the future whatsoever. But people fight. It may not be a fist fight. It may not be street fighting. Sometimes it is. But the truth is that people fight in the search for happiness. But I don't think that is the solution and as a reality i should say this we have lots of visitors here even in the church even in the church people disagree because we're all human right we are not perfect there is no perfect church and people disagree over things and many times or times i would rather say over silly things now i'm going to give something something to you here i'm not making this up i didn't make it up It came from the internet. I cannot guarantee that people who posted this made it up or not. But I'm telling you I didn't make it up. But someone posted on Twitter. Now Twitter is a social media. I know many are acquainted with Twitter. But it's a social media for those who don't know that you can post messages of up to 140 characters. So everything you have to say, you have to say uh, with 140 characters or less. And other people who are in that social network, they respond to that post and they make comments and that's how people keep updated and share news and, and thoughts and opinions and everything. Now someone posted on, on Twitter and they asked uh, members of Christian churches to share on, on Twitter experiences they had in their church of conflict. So uh, tell us about any conflict you had in your church And mainly they were looking for conflicts over trivial things and this is what came up I'm telling you I didn't make this up so someone reported that there was a 45 minute heated argument over the type of filing cabinet that they should buy whether it would be brown or black or whether it would have two three or four drawers 45 minutes discussing that Someone said that there was a big church where they found out, they had discovery that the church budget was off by 10 cents. And there was a heated argument over that. Until someone decided to step up and offer a dime. And say, okay, it's solved now. The budget now is even. Someone was arguing in another place whether, uh, who had rather, who had the authority to buy stamps for the church. And they discussed about that. They Disagreed, And some people in a church disagreed that the term potluck should be used. But it should be rather pot blessing. <laughs> I like that, honestly. If we decide to call our meals here a pot blessing, I'm, I'm okay with that. I'm happy. But the truth is, human beings fight for silly things. And I don't think fighting is the solution. Because when you fight... People usually fight not to solve the problem. They fight to prove who is right and who is wrong. And in the process of fighting to prove who is right and who is wrong, the original problem becomes secondary. And you create at least one more problem by fighting, sometimes many more. So I would suggest that we take a look today at how to have healthier relationships. And I know that many books have been published about this. I'm not looking here into giving you the final word on this. I'm not a psychologist. I'm not a sociologist. I'm simply a preacher. But I'm going to bring to you six steps from the Bible, from biblical concepts. Six steps for building healthier relationships. Does that make sense? Or you don't look too excited about that? but i want to have healthier relationships with the people i know and so i'm going to present that even if it's for my own benefit only but i'm going to give you six steps and the first one the first one for a healthy relationship i know there is a four letter word going around your mind right l-o-v-e but hold on to that word for now that's not a keyword but i'll give you six steps six keywords for you to have healthier relationships and the first one is openness you know we are all different we'll never think alike in everything but we need to be open to to allow the other person to feel comfortable when they are in our presence and that's how someone defined uh, openness an author said that openness is the ability to welcome people into your presence and make them feel safe And one of the ways of uh, expressing openness is by being hospitable, by having hospitality. And if you open your Bible to Hebrews chapter 13 and verse 2, God encourages us to be hospitable. The Bible says, do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers, for thereby some have entertained angels unawares. And so we are encouraged to be open, to be open to people whom... We come in contact to to make them feel welcome in our presence now there's another step and and I showed you it's it 's an upward ladder. You cannot have the second the second step without taking the first one. You cannot even dream to accept someone if you are not open to them, so you must be open to someone you must be open to make them welcome in your presence, and you need to accept them. As they are they are not going to be like you you have to respect that they are different we don't judge people by their behavior our judgment must be based on the value that God has for every person and you cannot accept someone if you are not open to them now remember that before you accept someone before you even think of accepting someone, Jesus has done that for you as well. Jesus has done that for you first. And Romans chapter 15 verse 7 says, Therefore accept one another, just as Christ also accepted us for the glory of God. And so let's be open and let's be accepting of other people. But there is more, that's not the end of it. you must be open you must accept someone if you want to have a healthier relationship with the people you are in contact with with you must also develop trust now there is no way someone will trust you there's no way rather someone will listen to you if they don't first trust you i don't want to be listened to just because i'm the pastor And just because I come up here, I I dress up and I preach a sermon, I want to be trusted because of who I am. And so I want to be trusted because people look at me and they find someone reliable, someone dependable. Trust cannot be developed if you're not open. You must open yourself to the other. You must accept the other the way they are so that trust can be built someone said only when people trust you will they listen to what you have to say and trust is the basis of this mutual confidence but trust also requires humility because once trust is broken and once or once there's a, a breach in trust you must be humble to ask forgiveness you must be humble to come to the person and say i'm sorry i did it wrong So that the person might even consider forgiving you. And that the relationship might be restored. All the Bible talks about trust. Right here in Deuteronomy chapter 31 verses 6 to 8. Deuteronomy chapter 31 verses 6 to 8. If someone could open that and find that and read to us. Deuteronomy 31 6 to 8. Before reading please stand up so everyone can hear. Deuteronomy. Amen. Thank you. So God has given us the example. He's faithful. He'll never leave us. He'll never forsake us. And that's the model we should try to follow. That's the model we have to ask the Lord to transform us into, that we be also faithful to those who are around us. And once you are open to uh, welcoming someone, once you accept them as they are, once trust is built, then you you can expect to learn something from that person. Now, uh, learning is a process that is a two-way process, right? Some people think, well, I'm going to to shadow someone. I'm going to be in contact with them because then I'll learn from them everything they know. I'll learn from their experience. Well, learning is a two-way process. If you think that you are going to be with someone just to learn from them, it's actually exploitation. You must give something as well. You must learn from the person, but you must learn with the person. You must learn with the person along as you journey along together. But for that learning to happen, for information to be exchanged, there must be trust. Because if there is no trust, no information will be exchanged between two people. The Bible, the Bible says that in Proverbs chapter uh, 1, verses 5 and 7, Proverbs 1, 5 and 7, the Bible says, Let the wise hear and increase in learning, and the one who understands obtain guidance. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, fools despise wisdom and instruction. So to learn something, to learn about others and to learn with others is something wise the wise learn and understand and that should be our goal and so once you open your heart to someone and you accept them as they are trust can be built and then you must learn about the person if you really want to be of help to that person you can't only come to the person and say i have a solution for your life you know i have together I know what you have to do what you must do it's a it's a learning process it's a it's a process of learning together and once learning is developed then you may be able to understand once you learn about the person once you learn with them you may be able to understand them but understanding the person goes beyond just learning about them real understanding allows you to see the world through our lenses and through their lenses as well can you imagine if we were able to look at things the way the person is looking at so we wouldn't judge the person by our own standards but rather we'd work together and this is this is honorable to god because god created us all god created us all different and he loves us all the search for understanding is something that is encouraged in the Bible. The Bible says in Proverbs 16:22, "Understanding is a fountain of life to one who has it." Understanding is a fountain of life, fountain of life for one who has it. And once you finally understand the person, once you finally look at the world through their lenses, then you will be able to properly properly serve them. You know, sometimes we come to someone and you think, I'm going to help this person be a better person. I'm going to help them see things they're not seeing in their spiritual journey. And you have all the answers when the person is actually needing something different. Because you didn't take the time to learn from them. You didn't take the time to understand them. We must follow Paul's advice in Philippians 2, 3. Do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit. But with humility of mind, regard one another as more important than than yourselves." Regard one another as more important than yourselves. That's not an easy thing to do. But that's what the Bible is telling us to do. Now what about love? When we say, what should we do to have healthier relationships? What should we do to have better relationships? What must we do to restore a relationship that perhaps was broken? And the easy answer is we must love more. And I'm not saying that's not wrong. Love is the underlying principle. Love is the fundamental principle in all relationships. But the problem is love has so, so, be, uh, so much been abused as a word and as a concept. That sometimes it's only an empty answer. And people say we need to love more. It ends up being this empty concept that love is the panacea for everything. Love is a cure-all. And we don't really stop to think what loving other people is all about. And so I want to ask you to think more about about that with me today. And then we'll close with that thought on love. Love has been used and abused, the word love. Many people have even killed in the name of love. Love has been used as an excuse for violence. Love has been used as an excuse for abuse. Love has been used as an excuse for control. But in true love, there is no control. In true love, there is freedom. There is no violence. There is no coercion. In true love, there is respect. In a healthy relationship... There is no control. There is no use of force whatsoever. So let's see what Jesus said. John 30, 13, 34 and 35. A new commandment I give to you. That you love one another as I have loved you. That you also love one another. By this all will know that you are my disciples. If you have love for one another. I want to dry, draw your attention to a few key words here. Some key words in this text. First Jesus says, love one another. That's his commandment. Love one another is a relational thing. It's not only uh, look for someone who will love you. Go look for someone who will take care of you for the rest of your life. Love one another. And in the church that's mostly essential. That we love one another. That we understand that we are not here only... To satisfy our needs. But we, God has called us to satisfy the needs of others as well. Love one another. There's another key sentence here that I'd like to highlight. That Jesus said. And by this all will know that you are my disciples. How will the people know that we are disciples of Jesus? How will they know? If, if, we, if we love one another. It's not by the size of the building. It's not by the size of the congregation. It's not by how many cars you have on the parking lot. It's not by, by the generosity of the church. It's not by how good preachers you have. It is by the fact that you love one another. That people will see you as true disciples of Christ. A new commandment I give you. Later on in the book of John in chapter 15 jesus speaks more about this commandment so what is this commandment that jesus is given? this is my commandment that you love one another as i have loved you and now look at this greater love has no one than this than to lay down one's life for his friends now there are a few key words here as well that i'd like to highlight And this is it. As I have loved you, Jesus is telling us to love as he has loved us. But he goes on to say to lay down one's life for his friends. Now, let me ask you this Is there a difference between dying for someone and laying down your life for someone? Is there a difference? I believe there is. And I would dare say something. It might be easier to die for someone than to lay down your life. Because by laying down your life, I mean surrendering, giving up on behalf of someone. Sacrificing your life for someone. And that's what the Lord is asking us to do. He's not only asking us to die for someone if need be, but He's asking us to sacrifice for someone else. And that's... That's more than just dying. It may, it may mean a, f- a lifetime of commitment. It may mean a lifetime of sacrifice. And laying down one's life can be seen in the, in the lifetime commitment of a mother to, to her autistic child, for example. It may mean that you, have, you spend uh, sleepless nights taking care of someone. Who by no means in medicine or whatever can get better. But you still commit to serving that person. Laying down your life for someone is when you go and spend time even doing the homework with your children. Helping them do their homework. Is when you spend time with your spouse and you listen to them. And in the context of the church laying down your life for someone is being humble enough to listen to them. And to even consider that their opinion may be better than yours. And to even consider that their view may be closer to what God wants than yours. And being humble in that regard. Laying down your life is a lifetime of commitment to the Lord. In prayer vigils for your child. In prayer vigils for someone who is sick. It is your commitment to God and to the truth, even in face of persecution. That is to lay down your life. And Jesus asks us to lay down our life to our friends. And so, I have an appeal for you today, this morning. That we stop using the word love as a panacea for everything. But that we really think about it. And we really think about what it takes when Jesus says that you love each other as I have loved you. And lay down your life for your friends. Now think about this. Jesus' life, we believe that Jesus is God. His life is eternal. His life had no beginning and and will have no end. But at some point in history, Jesus made a commitment to come to this world and become flesh and blood like you and I. And he will forever, for eternity, be flesh and blood like you and I. And that's the commitment he took in the process of laying down his life for you. It took him all the way down to the death on the cross. It took him all the way down to death and shame. But it also meant that he committed his life, his eternity, to being a human being like you and me, besides being God. And that's what he's asking us to do. And I'd like to appeal to you that today, last time we had communion here, uh, there was one thing that I appealed to you. And I showed a video here. Who can remember that? I showed a video about something and I encourage the church to do that more often. Hugs. Hugging each other. Now I'm appealing to you today that you think about the meaning of the word love. And the meaning of laying down your life for someone. And if we do this with sincerity, God will do for us things that we cannot even imagine. A few Sabbaths ago here in this church, uh, Julia was leading Sabbath school. And she she said something to the effect of, uh, I wish this church would be the most loving church in Belleville. And I wish that too. I want that too. That we become the most loving church, the most loving place here. But loving people means to lay down your life for them. It's not just being polite. It's not just being nice. It's not just greeting them when they come. But it's going one step beyond and committing your life to their joy, to their happiness, and to their salvation. May the Lord bless us today. This is my appeal to you. We're going to sing a hymn now. And those who are participating in communion are invited to go downstairs after the hymn. We have a room where the men can do the foot washing. We practice foot washing here in the church as Jesus taught in the Bible. And in biblical times people would come from those dusty roads and walk into their homes or into the home of, of a host. And they would have to have their feet washed, right? To take off uh, the dust of the roads. But they would not wash their own feet. There would be a servant there, someone who had been uh, hired, if you will, to be there to do just that, to wash the feet of the guests coming into the host's house. Now, today we wash each other's feet in a symbol of humility. Your feet may not be dusty, but we still stoop down and wash each other's feet. And so we'll sing the hymn. And then we'll go downstairs for the foot washing and finally come back here to partake of the bread and wine.